So again, we're in Ephesians chapter 3, and Paul starts at verse 1. Uh, he starts leading us into a prayer, but kind of does a uh, kind of a sidestep to encourage us. And again, I was corrected last week, rightly so, from um, uh, Mickey Dansby over here, um, because I, I did mention that Paul's name was changed from Saul to Paul. That's incorrect. Okay, so God does not take Saul and change his name to Paul like he does with Peter. Okay, um, Saul is the Hebrew name. Paul is the um, Roman name that he goes by. So they're both used. So I just want to know that I'm not a heretic and I do know the Bible. And, but I had to be corrected and that's rightly so. So Mickey Dansby, thank you. So if you want bad letters to go to anybody, let it go to Mickey. I don't, I don't need anything else this week. So no, no. So last week we started to look at the five encouragements, and I told you there were five encouragements that Paul was giving to the Ephesians who were beginning to lose heart because he was in prison. And so we worked our way through the first two encouragements, and so let me give them to you again. The first encouragement that Paul was a prisoner of Christ and not of Nero. He's a prisoner of Christ and not of Nero. And then the second thing, Paul was a steward of the mystery that was now revealed in Christ that both Jews and Gentiles are not separate entities, but are one thing. They are the church. And so today we're going to look at the final three encouragements from Paul. And so number three would be that he wanted to give encouragement by God's grace. He's talking about God's grace. So let's look at verse 7. Through nine. And of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is plain of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So the first thing we're going to see is that he was now a minister. See, Paul was a persecutor. He was a sinner who was going around trying to destroy the church. And God had, listen, every right to remove him from the situation. But what he does is he has an encounter with him on the road to Damascus. And he doesn't just discard him. He now makes Paul a minister who is redeemed by Christ and now goes and has a privilege of ministering in his name. So Paul goes from being a persecutor to a minister, but he does it in the regards to grace. Now, if you look at your Bibles and you read the passage, grace there is God's grace is present tense. He's not just saved a while ago. It's ongoing grace. It's a remedial grace that's always there. It's a gift from God that brings to Paul, who really, if he understood correctly, which I think he does, he has a negative account. There's no good works that Paul brings. It's only um, God's grace, and God's grace should never, ever get old to us. We never should get over God's grace. And what Paul says is that he is as the grace of God, and he becomes the least. Now, Paul does this a few times, and I want you to understand that he does it specifically. At one point in 1 Corinthians 15, he says he's the least of the apostles, so those who are the leaders of the church, Paul looks at that and he says, well, I'm the least of the leaders. In this passage in Ephesians 3.8, he says, I'm the least of the saints. I'm the least of the Christians. 
But then he gets to the end of his life after Paul has gone out and done missionary journeys. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's done all these things on behalf of Christ. And he says in 1 Timothy 1.15, I am the least of sinners. Now, why would Paul be going through this process of saying that he's the least? And here's the reason why. Because we should never, ever get afraid or never become afraid of repentance because here's the reality of our situation. Our understanding of our sin should always get greater, but so should the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Jesus has to get bigger in our lives, not smaller. We are not getting better. We're growing in our grace and our understanding of who God is. So that's part of Paul's teaching to us. He says, I want you to know that I'm growing in my understanding because I get the joy of proclaiming Christ to the Gentiles. And again, this was something that, again, for, for Paul would have been overwhelming because he would have grown up. He would have been taught that they are second-class citizens at best. They are nothing. And so what he's saying is now I have the privilege because I've had an encounter with the living Christ that I now get to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles themselves. And he says what I get to preach is the riches of Christ. Because Paul gets it. He understands that he of all people has the greatest debt to be paid back to Christ. Christ is the one who has to pay it. So now he gets the riches of Christ. And I want you to hear what some of the the pastors said in regard to this word of riches. It's inexplorable, untraceable, unfathomable, inexhaustible, inlimitable, inscrutable, incalculable. What is it that grace is to you? Is it something where you grasp the riches of the things that have been given to you in Christ? And when we begin to understand what he's given to us, then we can understand our purpose in grace. And our purpose in grace is first, is that this is a special revelation. Again, we don't have to go to somebody specifically. We don't have to go to a mountaintop. We don't have someone to interpret this for us. This is a revelation that God has given to us through people like the Apostle Paul, but gives to us his word. You can read it. And we of all people at all times in history, you have this word of God in your hands at all time. It's on your devices. It's in every translation. You can have it for free. And yet people, there were times where they had to actually die to have the word of God in their own language. And this revelation has come to us for the purpose because the light that had been had come upon that which was hidden. The Old Testament people didn't get to hear what Paul got to proclaim. And what is it what does it say what did Mickey say? Angels long to look at what we have received. So there's the light that reveals the hidden, but it's also, he says, he is the creator. Now, that's a very key word because the creator is the one who knows the plans from the beginning. So he's saying Jesus is the one where creation has been made through Christ. And so he's the one who has the plan. And as he has the plan, he tells us very clearly that one, God is unchanging. And that's a good thing. You don't want a frivolous God. You don't want a God who one day says, yeah, I kind of like Jose, but next week says, ah, Jose's out. 
We don't want a God who says, well, this is how you um, treat me this week, but next week it's going to be a completely different way. God is unchanging, and because he's unchanging, that's what we hold on to. And his love for us was before the creation of the world, and it never changes. And because it never changes, listen, God has a plan for you. Even if it includes trials. Because there's nothing that doesn't touch you that hasn't come through the hands of Christ. So there's no reason for us to be overwhelmed. We rest and are encouraged by God's grace that he's given to us. The, se- the fourth encouragement, excuse me, is that, sorry, God has a plan for you. Get that, everybody? All right, moving forward. The second of today's, the fourth of the encouragement, comes from verses 10 through 12. Listen to the word. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So this is the fourth encouragement. We have encouragement by the church. Okay, so we have encouragement by grace. We have encouragement by the church. And the church is the thing that God has chosen to transform the world. It's the church. Now, the church, sometimes, if we look at how the world deals with people, who make the news? The VIP people, politicians, wars. That's what makes the news. The church is made up of people that God elevates who are seemingly unknown. And he takes people who are unknown and he unites them together. Let me give you this illustration. So there, if you go and look at uh, Queen Elizabeth II, she has multiple titles. So she is the queen of, of England. She's also the queen of Northern Ireland. She is the defender of the Isles. She has other more commonwealths that she's a part of. And she can be, and there's different titles that they have. Now, if she goes up to heaven and stands before Peter, and he says, why should I let you in? And she says, well, I'm Queen Elizabeth II, the monarch of England and Northern Ireland. He says, I don't know you. Well, if she goes, well, I'm... I'm Queen Elizabeth. I don't know you. Well, my name is Elizabeth, and I'm a sinner. Oh, you can come in. Does everybody get that? It's not by our titles. It's not by what the world says is most important. It's because we are sinners who are saved by grace that we're able to come in. And so we have this where everyone becomes united as one person. Now, if you've watched the, the newest movie by Jumanji, and I'm not, don't go out and view it and say, Pastor Jeff told us to watch this, and there was a bad part. I'm not telling you to go watch Jumanji. I am saying that there's a part in Jumanji where they're at the bazaar, and they find what was known then as the missing piece. It was the fifth person that they needed to finish the game. We as a church need each other. God doesn't call us to be one individual churches. We all need each other. We fit together. The parts work together. Not all the parts are the same. But we all need each other. And again, just because I'm up here and speaking doesn't mean that the person who cleans the bathrooms is any less important. He's probably more important. You can find anybody to fill my spot. People who want to clean toilets, they're special. 
So they are needed just as much as anybody else. And so God brings us together and he unites us and we have to become something that is holy and loving. And what do I mean by that? We do really well at making sure that we get the holiness aspect. We want our doctrine correct. We want the word of God preached and that's good. But if we do that and don't love people, then they don't care. It's got to be both and. Let me tell you a true story. I knew I was friends with, with this guy. He was a, a guy from out in Colorado, and he came out here, um, and he went fishing with me. Now, he knew. He's a very extroverted guy, but he knew if he was going to go fishing with me to spend time, he had to be quiet. And so we went out fishing, and we went to a couple of different fishing spots in Cocoa Beach, and I don't think we had even a bite, let alone catch a fish. And it was about three hours into the day, and he finally said, Jeffrey, it's been three hours. Can I start talking now? And I was just like, Josh, yes, you can start talking now. But I understood that he loved me. See, we have to recognize that. We have to begin to connect. And if you're looking for me to make those connections for you, then you're going to be sadly mistaken because it's not going to happen. If you didn't bring food today, you know what you need to do? You need to find someone. And if you're wise, you'd find someone who brought good food and ask for them to be a part of your family today. Take their chairs. And I'm serious about that. If you're an extroverted person, maybe you need to learn to be a little bit more quiet. Maybe if you're an introverted person, you need to learn to talk a little bit more. Not just head nods. That's not good communication. Reading a book around someone doesn't mean you're communicating. We have to be better at connecting the church together. Why? Because this is the thing that God brings together to show the world. And the word that he uses is manifold. Now, this is the same word that was used in regards to Joseph's coat of many colors. It means it's multicolored. It's unity in the diversity. Brian Chappell says this, How did God get such difficult and disagreeable creatures together in one body to praise him? That's the church. We're all on different economic levels. We're all deal with different things. We're of different colors. We're of different nationalities. So how does God get people who are enemies according to the world and brings us together into one room and we praise God and we begin to love each other more than the other people around us? It's a God thing. And so he says, this is what the church is. And the church shows forth the wisdom of God. This is how God created to be. And when God creates it to be this way, what does it do? It transfixes the heavens. That's what it says. It still instructs the heavenly host. The angels are still learning. The demons are still learning. Only God is the only one who doesn't learn. Even when we're in heaven, we're still not going to be knowing everything. Only God is the one who never has to learn. So this is the way that God instructs even heavenly beings. And what he does, he tells them about reconciliation. Now, again, these are beings that are walking around who God is. They get to see him, not like us. And they got to hear the story that God was going to send his son to die for these people. That's absurd, 
That doesn't make sense. And I tell you this over and over and over again. There are people in this room that I love. I love dearly. And I would give to you money if you needed money. I would bring you into my home if you needed a place to stay. There are things to do, but I would not kill my children for you. I don't understand that love. And neither did the heavenly realms. Why, God? Why would you send Jesus to die for these people? And so they learn of the reconciliation. And they learn that God, listen, muzzles Satan. And it's the thing that angels are marveled by. That's why they, they, they break out in glory to God. It's why they marvel to look at the things that the church does because it doesn't make sense to the world. And when he brings us in, he tells us that the church is essential. Even as messed up as we are, even as hypocritical as we are, we still are the thing that God is using. And listen, it's the church that's the only thing that survives from here in eternity. So if you don't like somebody, you better get over it now. Because you're going to spend eternity with them. You know what I'm going to pray? That God makes their mansion right next to yours. But we'll finally begin to love the way that Christ loves. It's also essential in the spread of the gospel. Essential in your growth. It's why we do the worship, teaching, nurture, and reaching. All of those aspects have to be a part of our lives. We don't get to pick and choose. Hey, I'm going to be good here, but not, I'm not going to deal with this over there. We, we don't get to pick the fruit of the Spirit. It's fruit, singular. It's not fruits. You don't get to say, well, I kind of love this person, but I don't, have, I don't have patience. No, God's working in us all the time, the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And so the church is essential. And so Paul encourages them. And the last encouragement comes from verse 13, and I'll reread verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So he encourages them, and he says, I want you to be encouraged by my suffering. Don't lose heart. Now, if we're honest, what is our natural inclination? It's to grumble. It's to complain. It's to say, this isn't right, God. This isn't good. You shouldn't have chosen this way to do it. I don't like the way that you have chosen this. I don't like that you put Paul in prison. I remember clearly um, Johnny Dewey, his oldest daughter, um, had some issues uh, physically coming out and also some mental issues. And people were saying to, to Johnny Dewey, oh, that's so sad that God did this to you, your family. And I remember Johnny Dewey's response, because I stand right next to him, he says, why wouldn't it be my family? Why would you wish this on a non-Christian family? I understand what God's doing. God has called me to minister to this little girl, and he knows that I can do it. So why do I worry? See, God knows what he's doing even in the midst of suffering. What does the Bible tell us? Do everything without grumbling and complaining. You know how I know that? Because I know the word of God so well? No, because I listen to Steve Greed's Hide Him in Your Heart with my girls over and over and over again. 
We need to have the word within us. But this word told me, this is how we are supposed to do it. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, the world complains. When you're at your places of business, when you're in your schools, when you're in neighborhoods, it's always incessant complaining. So how do you change it? Quit. You look at the good stuff. You say what's right. And then you begin to bring other people around and they go, why are you hanging around with those people? Because we're united in Christ. And we are the lights that shine in the midst of this world. So we quit grumbling. We learn contentment. See, a lot of times we seek after what the world has to offer. All of us. We are seeking after those things. But those things, again, we know this and we can hear this over and over again. They don't satisfy. And you can't take it with you. Believe me, I have a half a garage of somebody else's stuff that I would be happy to get rid of. You can't take it with you. And are we going to be content with the situations that God places us? Good times as well as the bad times. Listen to what Paul says from Philippians 4. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Are you strengthened? Because Paul's saying, don't lose heart because I'm suffering for you. Paul was willing to suffer for those he loves. And we have to remind ourselves that there's always the cross before the crown. So suffering and tribulations and trials are part of what we have to go through as he continually changes us to look more like our Savior. But then we also have to remember, not only are we called to a suffering, but we give glory. And why do we give glory? Because one, we have access. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Christ. Now here is part of this thing. Paul was imprisoned by Nero. But Paul knew that he had the freedom to approach God always, everywhere. You are never forsaken. You're never left alone. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is with you at all times in all places. Ed Britton was even saying he was having some troubles this week, and he said God was bringing people out of the, out of the woodwork, people that he hadn't talked to in a while. God knows exactly what you need when you need it. And he provides it for us. But one of the things that we have to um, remind ourselves is, are we asking God? How many of you have complained about the government, but how many of you have prayed specifically about things in the government? People have complained about things that have happened in their life with sicknesses and, and heartaches and stuff like that. How many of you have prayed and asked God to fix those specific things? 
See, he tells us to ask. Never settle for spiritual complacency. Never settle. Be always growing, always understanding, always going deeper, always recognizing that God is changing us again and transforming us into the likeness of his son. And then the last thing is, are we worshiping him? Paul responds by worshiping God. He praises him. He thanks him for what? For his suffering. That's unheard of. I remember Johnny Erickson Tata made this very clear. She says, I am so glad that God allowed me to break my neck because it was the venue and the way that God drove me to himself. God takes us through hardships and trials, not because he's an unloving God. He is the most loving God, and he knows exactly what we need to go through to draw us back to him and to fall on the knees and said, I'm tired of doing it on my own. And he says, finally, finally, come to me, those who are heavy laden. For my yoke and my burden is light. Quit trying to fix it on your own. Quit trying to think that trials and suffering are just God's way of getting even with you. Run to your Savior and recognize that even in the midst of hard times that he brings encouragement through his word, through his people, through his church, but most importantly, through his son, Jesus Christ. And he leads us to this table. And he says, come and eat. Taste and see that I am good. For I will neither leave you nor forsake you. And I love you from the foundations of the world. Come. Come and be free. Come and taste of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we approach your table, Lord, we can do nothing except approach it in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we, like Paul, on the road to Damascus, we all had to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Father, because of that, we are now united in a church a church made up of a diversity of people and in a different levels on the spectrum. But we're united in Christ, and because we're united, we are one, one church. But Father, we are encouraged because even in the midst of suffering and hard times, you are there. And so, Father, allow us to truly taste and see that you are good. And that your mercy and your grace are new and fresh even today. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.